So, Father, we just give thanks and honor to you, Father, Lord of our lives, knowing that in and of ourselves we can do nothing, but with you all things are possible. So uh, I just pray now that, uh, as always, that your word would be rightly divided, Father, and that it would be encouraging uh, to everyone who hears it. So, again, we give you uh, all honor and all grace for what you've done in each and every one of our lives individually and what you've done for us collectively. And may you receive the glory for everything that we do and say tonight and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What's been on my heart lately, uh, I would say within the last three weeks especially, and it's nothing new, but it's just been um, magnified, and it has to do with fellowship has to do with fellowship and relationships. And that's what the Lord has put on my heart. And uh, what we're going to use tonight as a backdrop is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. So that's what we're going to try and dissect tonight. And hopefully what he's put on my heart will come through. So... Have your way, Lord. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. The uh, verse 36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You say, what's that therefore, therefore? And therefore is there because Peter has summarized his sermon uh, with a powerful statement of certainty that the Old Testament prophecies of resurrection and exaltation provide evidence that overwhelmingly points to the crucified Jesus as the Messiah. And as of then and even today, there are some who don't believe that. I like to think that those among us tonight do, but there's a certain religious systems that are saying he's not the Messiah. So even though he's proving himself as only God can, they don't want to believe it. They're looking for something else, someone else, and it's not to be. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah, our soon and, and, and returning king. And we know that. And, and Jesus is God as well as the anointed Messiah. And there's no mistaking that. And we can go into the scriptures and prove it over and over again. But if the person, a person is not willing to believe that, then there's nothing we can do about it. But they are out there. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what is our role? What is our responsibility as Christians those who claim to be Christ's followers. What is our relationship, our responsibility rather, to have a relationship with the living Jesus Christ and then to have that transfer and have a relationship with our sisters and brothers? And that's what comes down to fellowship. And we're going to talk about those two words especially. And then how do we obtain that? In and of ourselves, we can't. In and of ourselves, we don't even want to. I don't want, I want to choose the handful of people that I fellowship with. But we're violating the second commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. And when we limit ourselves, we're limiting God. 
we're saying that. And there's some people, they're a load. We've we got to admit that everybody in here knows somebody like that. This person is just a burden, a physical burden, a, a, a mental burden. Why should I spend the time fellowshipping or encouraging them? But that's not how the Lord would have it. What if he felt that same way about us? We're not all, we don't always do the right thing. What if he says, oh, man, that, that guy's a load today. I, I'm done with him. So we have to, we don't have to, we need to have that same attitude towards our sisters and brothers, especially our Christian sisters and brethren. And sometimes we question if we're Christian. Sometimes we question if they're a Christian. But we can't judge them. We shouldn't judge them. So if the Lord has put it on your heart to reach out to someone, do it. Don't hesitate. Well, I need to pray about it first. If the Lord says do it, then it's already been prayed about. He's already put it out there for you to do that. So when he, when he opens that door, he's just looking for you to just walk in. Do you trust him? Yeah, okay, prove it now. Walk into that door. Walk into that open door. But I need to pray first. Do you trust me as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then walk in. Go in. And there's going to be some trials associated with the, the, uh, establishing fellowships, establishing relationship with some people. But that should not stop us. That shouldn't delay us. Let's go in. Let's go boldly into what the Lord has done for us. Verse 30, uh, 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, cut in the Greek means pierced or stabbed, and it denotes something that was sudden and unexpected. And in grief, remorse, and intense spiritual conviction, Peter's listeners were stunned by this indictment that they had killed the Messiah. And when we're asked today, who killed Jesus? Who killed the Messiah? We should all raise our hands. I did. Did you really? I wasn't there. He died for your sin and my sin. So he had to die. So can we say we killed him? Essentially, yes. But it had to be. It's a death that he knew that he had to, he had to go. He had, he had to make that sacrifice. For us, and he did. So it depends on your perspective. Did you kill him? Did I kill him? He died for you, so you decide. You decide how you want it, your, your perspective, how you want to interpret that. 38 Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, repent refers to the change of mind and purpose that turn an individual from sin to God. And when, when we hear the word repent, we say make a U-turn. We say turn around. But it is, it's not a physical. It's, it's a heart change. It's a heart condition. It's a, having a heart transplant, having a different heart about who you are and especially about whose you are. You belong to God. And when you repent... When you say that you're going to repent, that means that you turn, turn from an individual sin. He takes away that individual sin and brings us to himself. That's where we want to be. This is more than fearing the consequences of God's, God's judgment. This is evil sin, and it must be forsaken in the person and work of, of Christ totally and singularly embraced. We have to embrace the change. We can't say, okay, uh, as a New Year's resolution, I, I vow to be a better person. 
That's nonsense. We don't need the calendar to turn before our hearts are turned. We can say, we're going to do this now. I'm making a commitment as of this moment that I will serve the Lord with all my strength, all my heart, all my might. And it has nothing to do with, well, I'll start tomorrow. If you really have a true heart, if you're sincere in that thinking, then your heart changes immediately. There is no time to wait. We're almost home, folks. So you're not guaranteed that he's not going to be back before you get to your neighbor, your friend, your family, your parents. No guarantees. So when you say that I'm ready to repent, instantaneously is the only way to approach that. We must truly repent to, exp- uh, to experience true conversion. Truly, truly. You can't, there's no faking. There's no faking. Well, he seems to be a good person sometimes. Well, if you say sometimes, then he's really not a good person. There is no part-time good person. There is no sometimes good person. Either you're good or you're not. It's a definite yes or definite no. And then again, that word good, what does that mean? You decide. You determine what that means in you. Uh, But it must be true repentance in order to receive true conversion. It must be true. It must be real. And the word baptize in verse 38, it means to be dipped or immersed in water. And baptism identifies Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not mean that, okay, that's it, I'm in, I'm, I'm a child of God. Anybody can be baptized. And, and the way that we're, we're asked biblically to look at it is it's an outer expression to others to encourage them by the fact that you're making this commitment. And when we do that, we have to make sure that when we come up, we are indeed a new creature, a new creation because they're going to see your life before they hear your words. We can talk about it. We can, we, great lip service, we're good at it. Are you living it? Are you living it? Are what you're telling them and what they see, do they match? And a lot of times they do not. But that's what we need to stay away from. We need to be absolutely, positively, without a doubt, sure that we will follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. That's where we want to be. Is it easy, you ask? The answer is no, it isn't. And keep in mind, they're not, it's not you that they dislike. It's not you that they hate. It's that God that you stand for. Do you have the boldness? Has the Holy Spirit imputed enough into you where you're going to take a stand for Christ no matter what? Are you strong enough in your faith to know that you can weather any storm? Are you one of those people that think that you can, you can experience the times on the mountain without going through the valley? That's a fallacy, folks. How do you get to the top of the mountain without going through the valley at the bottom of the mountain? The times that are not so good, the times that are challenging, the times that, that, that challenge our very soul, everything that we stand for. And t- most of the time what happens is we end up reverting back to the natural person or essentially the old man or the old woman. This is how we get through it. Okay, if you do this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. That's not the heart of God. Are you going to live out the heart of God or are you just going to talk about it? 
Let them see our lives. Let them see that we really, we're sincere. Without wax, that we really are sincere about what we're doing, what we're saying. Let them see Jesus in you. We must be aware that baptism does not produce forgiveness and cleansing from sin. There's a misnomer about what that baptism is and what it does. Oh, I've been washed clean. Baptism only affects the external. Your heart is really not immersed unless it's done through the Holy Spirit. So let's make a conscious effort to live it out. Verse 39, for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord of God will call. And the Gentiles were the ones who were far off, who will also share in the blessings of salvation. We're talking about the Gentiles now. And, and we can't give it. We can't, we can't share it. Salvation is ultimately from the Lord. That's the only way we're going to obtain that. It has to be. Are you praying? Are you praying for that? Are you praying? Are you open to receive when he's ready to impute into you what it takes to be separate? Separate from mom and dad and those uncles and aunts that aren't in your best interest. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to say that I don't want to be conformed to the world? I want to be transformed by Lord and Savior. Are you ready for that? And mean it. You've got to mean it. It's got to be a condition of the heart. And just to say these things and just have them be temporary, that's all vanity, folks. All vanity. And with, with many other words, he, verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be safe from this perverse generation. And I think, I know that all of us are aware of the perverse generation that surrounds us even today. Everybody in this room experiences it. It doesn't mean you have to watch the news. All you got to do is go out of the house. In some cases, that, you don't even have to go that far. But that perverse generation is among us, and they're making uh, laws and rules and regulations that they're going to demand that we, that we adhere to. Are we ready to take a stand for what we truly believe in? Are you ready? And it's going to come down to you as an individual. Because group, uh, group mentality usually turns into mob mentality, and you end up compromising well, everybody else is buying into this nonsense, so I guess I should too. Or I'm just doing it to keep the peace. So I have to ask you the question, whose peace are you keeping? Is there peace in your heart? Well, no, but at least I don't have to suffer the wrath of my friends. Are they truly your friends, Job? Verse 41, then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were, at, were added to them. Uh, that number, 3,000, uh, we don't have to really put any emphasis on that, but that was an indication that they kept records in that day, that they were keeping records of baptism. And think, well, 3,000 people in one day, how can that be possible? But then there were these baptismals, that were available so they could baptize a great number of people within the course of a day. 
But we're not, that number is irrelevant because the Lord's not saying, okay, wow, uh, 3,000, that's a lot more than the two that they baptized at CCR. So, uh, man, they're one up on them. But no, that's not how the Lord looks at it. One, one, one baptism, one person who commits themselves to the Lord blesses his heart and should bless our heart as well. We should encourage them. We should do everything we can to let them know how much God really loves them. They're making a commitment, and we have a responsibility to help them honor that by showing them what a Christian looks like. Not just by the eye, but by the life, the lifestyle. The things that you do or don't do. Got to be careful with that one also. Because there's some who play church even. There's some, some among us, not tonight, but there's some among us who play church. They come here for reasons other than those that you'd want to believe. We still can't judge them, but they're there. And it doesn't mean that we have to be committed to the word of God in order to come here and worship. Uh, pray on Tuesdays. Come to worship on Thursdays. Come to worship and service Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We don't necessarily have to have a pure heart. It would help if we did, then we would experience true joy. But there's some who don't. But that's, I won't say that's not our concern. It is our concern because we want our brothers and sisters to experience true joy. Are you happy? Yes. Are you joyful? Well, not really. Would you prefer joy over happiness? Well, what's the difference? I can create happiness by surrounding myself with the things that I like and removing the things that I don't. But joy only comes from the Lord. Joy is permanent. Happiness is temporary. So we want to experience true joy. I want us to experience true joy in the, in the real sense of the word. 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Among many factors uh, that were present in the earliest days of the church were the following. Fellowship, prayer, preaching, doctrine, divine illumination, baptism, the Lord's Supper, miracles, and joy. And as we go through the, these next few verses, I'm going to try and touch on maybe not all, but most of those. The foundational content for the believer's spiritual growth and maturity was the scripture. That's it. It's not based on anything else. It's not based on how many times you go to church or whether you're part of the worship team. It's not based on the fact that, well, I do sound, so, you know, I must be spiritual. And we have evidence. Nothing personal. Uh, and uh, in maturity, we need grow. We need spiritual growth and maturity. And God's revealed truth, which the apostles see, received and taught faithfully. We need to be faithful with God's word. We need to make sure that we study to show ourselves approved. There's some of, who come here and everywhere who depend on obtaining God's word through osmosis. The word says, study yourself up to study to show yourself approved. The word says, be Berean-like in your studies, in your reading, in your prayer. Be Berean-like, digging in. I don't want to say, I don't want to trust that the priest is going to give me the straight skinny. I don't want to trust that. 
I want to know, I want to read, and I want to ask questions so I can know for myself. I don't want to trust that our pastor is going to be, uh, is going to rightly divide the word. We like to trust our pastor, but the word tells us otherwise. Study to show yourself approved. And it doesn't mean that we can't trust him, but why not? Why not read it for yourself? Why not study for yourself? Well, well, brother, I, I don't, it's kind of, it's like a foreign language. I don't really understand. But he sent us a Holy Spirit to come alongside us and help. Well, I see this, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. Have you asked, have you prayed that the Holy Spirit will show you the meaning of that? That he will guide you through the word? Well, not really. So how do you learn? How do you learn anything? And this, the word of God, we have someone that we can go to and ask and get answers. We have that. We have that paraclete. We have that helper to come alongside of us. We have that. It's yours. It's personal. It can be private. It can be anything you want. It's encouraging. So ask, pray for it. If you don't understand, and, and, and with our pastors, our, our, our church leaders, we, we can inquire. Could you help me? What, tell me what this means. Well, here, go back and read this. Oh, now I get it. Those are the things that happened, but it wasn't because of that pastor or that other person. It was because the Holy Spirit gave you an opportunity to expand on his word. It's evergreen. It's, it's, it's living. So you'll read it today and read it again tomorrow and see something a little different. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Expect that, folks. Expect it. I, I just, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand. So, you know, I need, I need another version of the Bible. It's not going to work for you. I need the New International Version because it's a lot more common, makes a lot more common sense. Common sense is not common. Ask the Lord, help me with the version that's in my hand. Help me with that. And he will. I have proof. You know, I just, uh, no different from anybody else in here, the first time you read it, first time you started reading the word was it was it did it just unfold and for some of us some of you smarter ones in the room it might have unfolded but I'm not one of those smarter ones so I had to dig I had to ask and ask and keep asking and keep praying and then he started to expose it to me I never I, I mentioned this to you guys weeks ago that I never could have imagined myself doing what I get to do now and I'm just glad that I get these opportunities because it just blesses my heart when, when I can come in and I can just share with, with my sisters and my brothers what the Lord has showed me. And that's really what it's about. Uh, God uh, designed us to be relational. We are designed that way. Uh, we can go right back to Genesis and see that. Why did he need to make that second person? Why couldn't Adam just chill by himself? Wasn't the best thing for him. He's a guy, so he's going to get in trouble within four hours. That's the maximum. So he knows that. So I got to design someone for him. 
And that's what he did. And throughout the word, even, even to, to send the apostles out two by two, there's a reason for that, folks. There's a reason. Everything, everything that he does, everything that he says, there's a specific purpose or reason for it. And we have to understand that. We need to understand that. He designed us to be relational. We are designed to need God and each other. You hear the song that no man is an island? No person is an island. We need. And yeah, there's a, there's a few of us today who have our own personal patmos. But we shouldn't. That island, we don't, we don't need that. We don't want that. We need a relationship. You need fellowship. God has designed you that way. Well, I find that I'm much better off when I'm by myself. You know why that is? Because you're selfish. Me, 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 my, my, my. Somebody uses the word us or we or our, and it throws you off because you never hear those words. Should not be. Should not be. We have a responsibility to allow that relational nature to be lived by the way God intended. There's a difference between how we think we should live and how God knows we should live. What I found over the years is that his ways are always better. No matter what I try, it usually doesn't come out good. And I've tried a lot of things. You've tried a lot of things. Everybody in this room has tried things. Wow, that didn't work. But I know what I went wrong first 99 times, so this time I'm going to nail it. You're not going to nail anything. Depend on him. Follow his way. We, are, we have a responsibility to allow that nature to be lived. When we do, it blesses God and strengthens us. That's where we want to be. Bless God and strengthen us. And as a result of his blessing, we get strengthened. Now we have the boldness to minister his word to anyone. We're not intimidated by those lions. We're not intimidated by those giants in the land. Because the Lord has us covered. And the thing is, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, he can point you to an area of the Bible that, that uh, is a mirror of where you are and what you're going through. I don't care what it is. Uh, as it says in Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun. We're not inventing anything. We're not inventing loneliness. We're not inventing hardships. We're not inventing heartbreaks. We're not inventing... Uh, separation from someone that we love. He's shown us all of that. He's shown us uh, our resistance to go out. He's shown us uh, in Moses who made excuses for not following what he said. He's shown us in Jonah who was reluctant to follow what the Lord had asked him to do or where he asked him to go. They had excuses even then. No different from us, but we view those people. We view Moses. We view Peter. We view David. We, we view Jonah. Wow, that guy's, I mean, I can't believe that he's resisting what the Lord's asked him to do. I challenge you to look in the mirror. You'll see this, a, a person doing the same thing. Guaranteed. That's just how it is, folks. Uh, fellowship is partnership or sharing because Christians become partners with Jesus Christ and other believers. That's where we want to be. 
We want to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about, some of you have heard it, that, that vertical relationship and that horizontal relationship, they go hand in hand. You don't have one without the other. We must have that relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you living on uh, what grandma did or what my parents did? It's got to be you. You've heard this before. He has no foster children. He has no grandchildren. He has no stepchildren. It's all personal, one-on-one. That's what we want to be. It is our spiritual duty to stimulate one another to righteousness and obedience. Those are two words that we struggle with, especially obedience. Obedience. So you, we want to be like Mrs. Sinatra said, I did it my way. No. How's that working for you? Not so good. Where there is godly fellowship, there is healthy, godly relationship. Um, when, I, when I see this and say this, I just think of, of how we, in this body, and it's nothing new, it's not uh, uh, just for this particular uh, faith body, body of faith, it's humankind and how we seek out certain people, how we gravitate towards certain people that we like and how we abhor the ones that we don't. And I think of the analogy of fellowshipping with a group and some, there's somebody in there who just, you know, they just rub you the wrong way. And so you end up separating yourself from him or her. That would be akin to someone coming into your doctor, your nurse, someone coming in the hospital sick. So you want to do what's best for them. So do you cast them out? No. No. You, you treat them. You nurse them. You nourish them to health. And there are some here among us who need that same type of nourishment, but we push them aside because their personality rubs me the wrong way. Have you considered looking at that the other way? So you don't push them away. Uh, I repeated this several times, and it bears repeating again. Uh, the church is the only army that shoots his wounded, and that's pretty sad. These are the people that we should want to bring in and nurse them back to good health. But we don't because they, their personality doesn't match mine. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. A reference to, uh, in, in, uh, in verse 42, it references uh, the breaking of bread. And it's a reference to the Lord's table or communion, which is mandatory. I don't like to use that word, uh, but I feel I must. It's mandatory for all Christians to observe. And, and this is, uh, if I were to say this in a certain venue or a certain crowd, I'm going to get some objection to that. And I expect it. Mandatory to observe communion. And you might ask, why would someone have a problem with that? And I know for a fact there are people in this very body who won't do communion. You may not know them, but I do. 
They won't do communion. You ask, why wouldn't they? Because they don't feel it's necessary. It's just something that you do just out of tradition. Not so. Communion or the Lord's table is mandatory for all Christians to observe. Also in verse 42, it talks about prayer, breaking of bread and in prayers. And the prayer, these are the prayers of the individual believers, individual believers and the church corporately. It should be both. It has to be both. There's your own personal prayer time, and there's the time for the body to come together to pray and encourage others. And we don't put enough emphasis on prayer. And you can't. You can't overdo it. It can't be overdone. Well, I think you might have prayed a little bit too much today. I've heard you pray four times. Nonsense. Prayer can't be overdone. And take every opportunity to stop thinking in terms of you, what you've got to do, what you've got to say. Think about the fact that the Lord has given you the ability to pray. Everybody, I won't say can't. They don't do that. There's some people who are not comfortable for someone else to hear the sound of their voice. There's some people who are not comfortable with, with praying because, well, Pastor Rob prayed, and man, I mean, he used all kinds of scriptures and little flowery words. I can't do that, so I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, my brother here, he prayed. He prayed for a solid five minutes straight. I can't come up with that many words in prayer, so I'm just not going to pray. So what you're saying is, I say I'm a Christian, but now I have an opportunity to show it, and I'm not going to. This is why we're in some of the situations we are today, because we are passive. We are so passive until they're passing laws that are going to affect our young people in years to come. We're passive, and now they're going to push all this agenda on us. We're passive, so they're going to create ways of scamming us, and some of us won't be able to figure out that we're being scammed until it's too late. Let's be bold in our faith. Let's let the Lord just take hold of our lives and just use us up. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is uh, one of the things that I see today uh, when we talk about signs and wonders or wonders and signs. How, Lord, if you're real, show me a sign. Don't you think he's showing you a sign already? Don't you think the fact that he controls your very breath? That's pretty serious stuff. So what are you saying, that I can't breathe without him? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying for, for those of you who have been ill, ill with whatever. What happened there? So you're well. Now you're back to work. You're back to whatever you do. That's not a sign. That's not a wonder. How'd that happen? Well, I took some uh, mother's little helper, and I'm good to go. Folks, what does it say? You can do nothing. You can be nothing without me. We need to understand that and know that this is not of us. 
This is not something that you did or didn't do that helped you. The ability to perform miracles was limited to the apostles and their close colleagues. Are there signs and wonders today? It's not a rhetorical question. Are there signs and wonders today? You tell me. I say yes. What say you? Are there? Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They held their own possessions lightly, ready to use them at any moment for someone else as needs arose. Is that us? Is that us? Do we, are we willing to share our possessions? Are we, are we keeping a light touch on the things of the world? Well, these are my four cars and I'm not sharing with anybody. Yeah, yeah, I do have a mansion with 18 rooms, but that's just for me and my wife and the kids. I'm not sharing with anybody. That's not a light touch. Oh, yeah, we got cabinets full of groceries. Oh, you guys don't have anything? Oh, well, tough. Is that you? Is that me? Uh, and they, they got to they gotta hold, we have to hold our own possessions lightly. Keep a light touch. Keep a light touch on the things of the world. It's important that we do. 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Is that us? They sold their possessions to provide money for those of the church in need. We must be givers, but not just givers of stuff, not just givers of things, but givers of things from the heart. Givers from the heart. What's the motive? I'll share with you, but it's going to cost you. That's not the right heart. God says, to whom much is given, much is required. So he's giving you abundance of whatever that is. Are you willing to share? And I say the majority of us are not. We're just not good at that. Mine, mine, mine. We hoard it. We'd rather hoard it than share it. Now, don't misunderstand that these people, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, uh, this co-op. They didn't all live together. But when they got together, they shared. They shared what they had with each other. From whom, from whom according to his ability, to, to, to whom according to their need. That's the attitude we want to have. I got more. I have an abundance of this. I'm willing to share without a motive. Without a motive. Bartering, that, that's not the same. I'll give you this if you give me that. That's a totally different heart. I just want to give you. I just want to bless you. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, the things that love does, it does from the heart. The things that love refrains from doing, also from the heart. So it's a condition of the heart, whether you give or you don't. That's where it comes from. And we know what Jeremiah says about the heart. Heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know what you're capable of. You don't even know what, if that person came to you asking for the old proverbial cup of sugar, are you willing to share Freely. Yeah, here you are. I only got two cups left, but I'm willing to give you one of them. 
That's the heart. That's the heart of God. That's where we want to be. Again, folks, it's not easy because in and of ourselves, we're very selfish. We've earned this two cups of sugar, and we're not going to just give it away freely. If you want a cup of sugar from me, you've got to give me something. Let's not be that way. Don't be concerned about receiving. Uh, and there's a twofold blessing from giving. One is the internal blessing. We begin to get value out of seeing someone else's life change for the better. And externally, God blesses our giving heart and actions in a providential way that we are not even looking for, according to Matthew 6.33. I will pour you out a blessing. This is not the verse from Matthew, but I will pour you out a blessing that you don't have enough room to receive. That's where we want to be. That's what we want in life. Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous, it says, man, a generous person will prosper he who refreshes others will himself be blessed. But when we're doing that, we're, we're keeping this, this what he, uh, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. But when we hoard this with a closed fist, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. How do you get blessed with that closed fist? When, you, when you're serving the Lord, when you're worshiping the Lord, are you doing this? Are you doing this? I'm yours, Lord. So everything's open to him because anything that you've obtained, no matter about the self-made people out there, the self-made woman, the self-made man, you have not attained anything. Everything that you have, including your children, is on loan from God. Everything that he's given you uh, you can go back and read Job to verify, gone. Gone. It's hard to comprehend, and I, I don't want to sound morbid, but there's no limit. There's no, he doesn't draw the line as to what he'll take away in a heartbeat. Some of us have suffered the, the death of loved ones. Some of us have, separate, have suffered separating our hearts from a loved one or someone that we know we've been through it. So we know that he does that. It's not to punish us. Just make you realize that he has a plan that is much better than what we have. Much better. That's what he wants us to see. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And in this uh, continuing daily, the believers went to the temple to praise God, observe the daily hours of prayer, and witness to the gospel. That's it. That's pretty simplistic. Nothing challenging about that. It doesn't care about uh, age. doesn't care about uh, race, creed, color. It doesn't care about your financial status. It doesn't care about, you know, your family background, it doesn't care about any of that. It was very simplistic. Praise God, observe the daily hours of prayer, and witness to the gospel. Open to anyone, open to everyone. Believers shared daily with one another. They were joyful because their single focus was on Jesus Christ. And you will find that you can experience true joy also 
if, you fo- if your single focus is on Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to obtain it, folks. If you try it any other way, uh, the meaning of what you experience is going to change. But I talked about happy and joy and the difference. And you're, gonna, you're not going to experience joy if you're not singly focused on Jesus Christ. You're not. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Godly fellowship is always a byproduct of ministry. Are you involved in a ministry? Well, not really. I'm just a churchgoer. I'm not really involved in many ministries. Not true. Not true at all. You are in the ministry. You are. You're ministering. Ideally, you're ministering to those who may not be as solidly grounded as you. That's a ministry. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not an usher. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not this. I'm not that. You are. Do you believe God's word? Truly, every word? Then think about this. I am not a respecter of person. Do you believe that? Do you think he meant that or just, just, just talking? Just threw that out there just to see how they're going to respond. Not a respecter of person. So is anybody else more important to him than you are? No. The answer is no, just in case you hadn't heard. The answer is no. He's not a respecter of person. He values you more than anyone else that you know. Sure doesn't seem like it. It's all the condition of the heart. How do you want to view that? Are you being blessed? Well, not as blessed as the guy across the street. How do you know how the guy across the street is living? Do you really know? Do you really know what's going on when the doors are closed? Do you really know what's going on when they pull down the shades at night? Well, he's got stuff. Is it really about stuff? How do we define success? How do you define success? By the things that, by the worldly trappings that you've obtained? I can tell you, folks, no. What happens is when you obtain those worldly trappings, you don't own them anymore. They own you. You may not want to believe that, but it's true. Your possessions own you. Remember I talked about that 18-room mansion? Somebody's got to maintain it. Well, they can pay someone to do it, but now you're concerned about your accountant. Are they ripping me off? Now you're not sleeping because you're concerned about your money. And it all comes back to that mansion, those cars, that vacation resort on Canandaigua Lake. That's what it comes down to. Fellowship produces relationship. Consistent fellowship improves relationship. So let's reach out to our sisters and brothers right here, right now. There's people in this room right now who are hurting. Well, how would I know? How you would know is if you created a relationship with them. How you would know if you talked to them. How you would know what's the Lord doing for you. And maybe they'll open up. Maybe they won't. That's why it has to be consistent. You can't get to know anybody as they truly are within these walls. 
You really can't. Even though you may believe that, you really don't. Well, what do you know about uh, this person? Well, uh, they go to church on Sundays and they carry a brown Bible. Tell me more. Well, that's all I know. Are they truly grounded in the Lord? Well, uh, I never ask him that question. Why not? Well, I think that's kind of personal. It is personal. But this is how you obtain a relationship. Take the time to do that. We don't. We don't. Some of us are afraid. Well, I'm kind of shy, so you know, I don't want to get into anybody's business. Do you care whether your sister or brother is struggling with something? Do you love them enough to tell them about the love of Jesus? Well, I'm sure they already know that. How do you know that they know? Well, they go to church, and the pastor talks about it all the time, how God loves us. You've heard things that you don't believe. How do you know that they believe that? Do you know for sure that that person sitting next to you has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Start start off by asking. See what they say. And, and, and once they start to open up, let them know that you're totally interested in, in their life. You want to share the love, this love that you know that you've experienced. You want to share it with them. You want to open up to them. You want to know where their heart is. That's what the Lord would have us to do. And it's not about being nosy, getting into people's business. If you love, if you have something that you love and you adore, that grandchild, Ah, let me show you these pictures of my granddaughter. You want people to know. You want to show them. You want to share with them. Because I love and adore this child. Do you love and adore Jesus? We don't have pictures, but I can tell you. I can tell you from my heart what he's done in my life. I can tell you from my heart what he'll do in your life. I could tell you without hesitation that he's concerned about every fiber of your being. I can tell you that, that he may not want you to suffer through this separation. He may not. He may just want you to move on. He may want you to rely on him, depend on him. You depended on that person, that man, that woman, way too much. And like it or not, and he tells us in his word, he's a jealous God. So we got something else that we're putting before him. So we don't give much recourse but to say, okay, we need to change this dynamic. You're putting way too much emphasis on this person, this thing, this stuff. I need to change that. So I need to take it out of the equation. I want it to be Jesus first. It's hard. It's really hard, folks. Salvation is God's sovereign work. That's it. There is no other way. There's nothing that we can do to gain it. It's from him. Everything's from him. As, as our brother so graciously saying tonight, it's all sinking sand if it isn't. If it's not him, it's sinking sand. And that's the truth. How we, we put these plans in, in place And then the bottom falls out. So we take another approach. The bottom falls out. So, okay, this is the fourth time. I think I might. I'm going to try prayer. 
see how that works. That should be the first thing. That should be, be your first recourse before you even consider. Because your plan, simply because you're wrapped in flesh, there's a good chance it's not going to work out to your advantage. So let's rely on him. Let's put our faith in him. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Let's honor him in everything, folks. Let's reach out to those who are hurting. You don't have to know they're hurting. You can inquire. You can just go over and just give a good, uh, anything that we can pray about. Don't be afraid to pray with them. Don't be afraid to pray anytime, anywhere. God has given you boldness, bold as lions, to go out. Share him with those that you may consider worthy or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what we think. Share Jesus with everyone. Everyone needs it. Everyone may not want it, but that's how it is. Share with that person who seems to be hardcore. Share with that person who seems to resist. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I understand. That works for you, but it doesn't work for me. They don't really believe that. It's just an excuse. But we're going to be the bigger person. We're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep praising him. We're going to keep sharing him, his love, his caring, his heart with everyone that we know. Don't cross anybody off the list. There's no one who does not need Jesus. No one. So regardless of what they say to us, they can't stop us from praying for them. They can't. They can say, well, I don't want you coming around me because I don't want to hear that Jesus talk. But they can't stop you from praying. You always got that at your disposal. Let's pray for those that we know that need him. And let's reach out to those less fortunate than us. Let's be like the people in Acts chapter 2. By giving from the heart. By loving from the heart. By walking and talking. Jesus. No matter what. Father we just give thanks. For your grace. Your mercy. And your Holy Spirit. And Father as always. We, we just continue to pray that your word was right and divided. And if, I, if I've said anything tonight. This vessel that you're using, Father, if anything's come out of my mouth that was not of you and it discouraged my sister or my brother, I just pray that you would just eliminate it from my minds, from my hearts right now. I thank you for this opportunity that I've been given to share with my sisters and my brothers. And I just pray, Father, that uh, you just continue to just continue to pour out your blessings on each and every one of them, Father. I know that you're going to love us. I know you're going to strengthen us. I know you're going to encourage us. I know you're going to heal us. But I pray we never take it for granted. What a loving God we serve. So, Lord, as we make our way home, I pray that you would give us tra safe traveling mercies. And that you would, uh, as you leave here with us, Father, that you would also be the same God that's waiting to receive us at home. 
have your way in this place tonight, tomorrow, and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning king, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.